Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of the Still Curtain Podcast. I'm Tommy Jagai, editor of stillcurtain.com. Joining me is my co-host, Shane Kubis. It is Victory Wednesday for us, and you guys can catch us every Wednesday live at 1.30. Uh, Steelers pulled off a big win against Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think that hardly any experts were predicting this would happen, but it took a lot. We're going to get to that in just a second. We're going to talk about TJ Watt today, which is obviously the biggest news of the week, um, and, and predict how the Steelers will fare without him. And we'll also take a look uh, at the Steelers matchup against the New England Patriots. So let's start with the Bengals, Shane. The Steelers were able to win. But it took a lot of factors in this game. Five takeaways by the defense. Four of those were interceptions, a defensive touchdown, a blocked extra point at the end of regulation, a missed chip shot field goal in overtime. So it was kind of hard to be excited about this win afterwards, especially considering that we didn't know what was happening with TJ Watt at the time. We knew that at that time it was confirmed that he did have a pec injury of some kind. And so – I wanted to be more excited about this. You you go to Cincinnati, you steal a road win against the AFC champions, but there were things to be optimistic about and things that certainly be pessimistic about. So what were your overall thoughts on this first win from the Steelers? It was just insane. And I, I was live tweeting through it as I will probably be doing every year or every game this year, just because I think it'll be fun to do so. But I just got fed up with it by the end of the game because it wasn't even that it wasn't exciting, obviously. It was one of the most exciting games, if not the most exciting game of opening weekend. But Mm -hmm. it was just so unbelievable, everything that happened, especially as the game wore on and you got to the touchdown at the end and then the extra point by Minka that was blocked. Like, just so many things that just don't normally happen in games, right? Like, between blocked extra points and then missed field goals by a kicker who was again one of the best kickers in the NFL last year like already hit a 50 yarder earlier in the game like and it's just everything as it unfolded I just thought more and more I'm like I just want this game to be over because I can't take the pressure anymore I can't take the stress and this is what the Steelers do to us though like this is how they're going to probably need to win games and if that's the case then so be it but at least I'm hoping that they're not quite as crazy as this one ended up being. No, they can never just seem to like run no. away with it. I mean, come on, the defense was was handing it to the offense on yeah. a silver platter. And so let's we'll talk about that here in a second. But man, it was it was frustrating, like from beginning to end. And there was there was, like I said, a lot to get excited about, but also a lot of concerning factors here. So let's jump into the winners and losers. We won't spend too long on the games. We're gonna get to TJ Watt here in just a minute. Uh let's start with what was positive, and that was basically the entire defense. Uh, highlighted by Minka Fitzpatrick. And what he was able to do was phenomenal. This is 14 tackles, uh, interception, pass deflection. He had a commit with a pass breakup in the end zone. He had the defensive touchdown. And this stretches way beyond the box score. Like it doesn't, the the box score stats, they they really don't matter that much. You just go back and watch the game. I watched it. I went back and watched it a second time. And what he was able to do was amazing. And they don't win that game without him. Like there's there's not a chance because it took, all of those things and then some for the Steelers to pull out the victory in the first place. Um, so I think that Minka was one of the winners of this game for sure. He was obviously just named 
uh, the AFC Defensive Player of the Week, and I think rightfully so. Um, I, I think TJ Watt was phenomenal before his injury. Unfortunately, he had another sack that was called back, so that would have been two sacks in the game. He had the point blank interception at the line of scrimmage, which I feel like only a Watt can do for some reason. There's there's not many players that can pull off that play right there. That ball's coming right at you, and you have no time to react to it. So he's incredible, and it, it's it's going to be disappointing uh, having to watch this defense without him. Um, and I think that Alex Highsmith had a great game as well. Steelers cornerbacks played really well. Uh, yeah. It's just, again, it's it's really, there's really nothing negative to point to in terms of like defensively. Like Arthur Millette was only out there a little bit, gave up uh, his only catch on his only target. Can't really follow him too much there. I thought Devin Bush did a lot better yeah. than his PFF grade would indicate, which I think he only had like a 49.2 PFF grade. I tweeted that out the other day. Yeah. Uh, fans were not happy about that. I don't come up with a PFF grade, so don't blame me for that. <laughs> but I, I do think that uh, I do think that he was. Uh, I was pleasantly optimistic. I will say about what what we've seen from Devin Bush in terms of like his aggressiveness. Uh, is there anybody else that you want to highlight on defense? Uh, defensively, I mean, obviously Hayward was still great. I mean, he was just giving that rookie Volson for them just all the work they could handle. Like you just, it wasn't really fair for him. Oh, yeah. Still, like Hayward was great. The whole defense. You mentioned like Highsmith with a career high in three sacks. Minka had one, maybe his best game as a Steeler. I think pretty honestly easily, especially factor in everything he did between mm. tackles, pass breakups, the interception for a touchdown. Obviously, he played the type of game that, like when when teams say, "Oh, you know, safety is not the most valuable position." When people say that, they're not generally until you have Amika Fitzpatrick, right? Like that's where the money is well spent because of how much he can do for the entire rest of the defense. That's the kind of this kind of game is why you pay him the money they did and why you could have paid him more and it still would have been a value realistically. And him, especially, I mean, he got defensive player of the week for a reason, even with so many good defensive performances, even on his own team. I mean, Cam Sutton was fantastic, even on the outside. Mm -hmm. Like, that's something that I didn't expect to see in a game like this. So, if that can continue, that's going to be huge, especially since Levi Wallace didn't really play as much as I expected him to and kind of left early with an injury. But the whole defense, just from the turnovers perspective, pressure, sacks, this is the type of performance that they're going to need against the bigger AFC teams and some of the better teams they play if they want to have a chance to win those games. Yeah, and look, it's week one. Like, I don't want to overreact. We know what happened in week one last year. The, yeah. the Steelers stuck it to the Buffalo Bills, who ended up being a great team, and Pittsburgh was not so much, uh, statistically anyways. And even though they did squeak into the playoffs, I, I, I don't want to overreact to things, but I was really – surprised by the play that the trio of, of cornerbacks had in this game. And that is like, hello, Witherspoon, Kim Sutton, Levi Wallace, the Steelers top three guys. I think they did an excellent job just con containing Jamar Chase. I mean, Chase still had a big game, but we can live with what he was able to do considering the struggles in the passing game that the Bengals had. And then obviously right. T Higgins left a little bit early. Uh, Tyler Boyd made some plays, but I, I feel like they were really able to contain overall uh, Steelers corners. I, I, uh, Cam Sutton got an interception. Kelly Witherspoon got one as well. Um, and so I think that they just did a real – that was an encouraging sign because I know that they, both of us highlighted that as a potential uh, position of weakness this year. And it still could be, uh, but I was surprised by what we saw by them in week one. Uh, for As far as winners go, is there anybody offensively that deserves to be in that category this week? I would say just because of how he was used and how much he was used, you can say – 
Chase Claypool because they mm-hmm. made him so active in the run game. He was our leading rusher with six carries, 36 yards. He got a ton of targets as well. Like He did a really good job of doing those types of things for us. And when I think that him in the slot full-time is going to pay off ultimately. They need to get better at trying to use his speed down the field as a vertical threat from the slot still which we'll talk more about that whole part of the game. but And then Pat Fryermuth, right? Like he was he was the guy in this game from a receiving perspective overall. Deontay Johnson had kind of a rough game just because they couldn't really get him the ball effectively, but he had the one nice, really really nice grab on the sideline. But the, the passing game in general had its issues, and I'm sure we'll talk about that with the losers. Yeah, I agree with you there. And uh, Claypool and Fryermuth, I might also add Gentry to that too. Didn't yeah, play nice as much, obviously, play. as the number two tight end. But uh, he, he still was able to get that big chunk play and the screen pass had a couple of really nice blocks. You go back and watch yeah. like the all 22 just pancaking people. So um, I think obviously tight end is going to be one of the strengths in the team. I think the same about wide receiver is just that we got to find a way to get these guys the ball. Like We need more creativity. Something's happening here. So let's take a look at the losers and let's let's start with the defense because we started that way with the winners. Is there any losers on defense in this game? It's it's hard because of how well they played. I mean, Terrell Edmonds wasn't that great in the game. He made some really nice plays and coverage, I think, but he did get targeted a little bit later in the game, I felt mm-hmm. like. And I think part of the problem, too, is the, the later the game got, the more the Bengals were able to move the ball a little bit more consistently because they just had so many possessions, right? They ended up with over 90 offensive plays, I believe. Like, they just had the ball so much that eventually someone was going to have to break down a little bit. But even then, it wasn't anything you know terrible. And outside of Hayward on the defensive line, like Ogunjobi made a couple of nice plays, but the defensive line in general wasn't too, too great. I think linebackers really helped a lot in the run game especially. So from defense, saying a loser is hard to say after the performance they put up. I don't think anyone was a liability, at least. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mullet had, even even though he didn't really do anything in coverage, obviously, which he's not going to, he still had the sack on Burrow, the forced fumble, like – everybody kind of made an impact who did get a chance to play significantly. Yeah. I mean, we're really nitpicking if we have to try to scrape the losers on the defensive side of the ball, the defense certainly wasn't the problem. Uh, And I agree with you there. I think I wasn't, I don't think like DeMarvin Leal did anything malicious in his his first game, but it was just, it just wasn't, I mean, he didn't offer much, uh, but he'll, he'll learn as he goes. Uh, But, but, Again, yeah, maybe Edmonds gave a couple big ca- catches. Outside of that, I mean, there's there's really not even much to note as far yeah. as like negatives defensively. Uh, offensive side of the ball, that's a very different story. <laughs> so, and it, it's hard to just like pinpoint like one positional group or one player and say this is the reason for the struggles. I think it's a collection of things. Uh, so, who are your losers on offense? For me, like I want to start with Trubisky just because I, I do think that overall, especially in some key situations, he, he got what needed to be done done. Mm-hmm. Like he got the overtime drive to go ahead and get the field goal to win the game. Like he did certain things well. I think the problem was is it's not even that he didn't target guys down the field enough because he did have looking back on it again, especially did have some deeper targets in this game, but he just couldn't connect on any of them, especially to the receivers, right? Like the throw to Deontay was really the only one to a receiver that got past, you know, 15 plus yards and was completed. And for this offense to be as effective as it can be, especially with all the receiver talent, they have to find a way to consistently get down the field with those guys, especially Pickens, because mm-hmm. there was a throw, especially where he just straight missed Pickens. And I know yeah, you, you, you had mentioned it before. Like he just that, that has to be a throw you hit with, with a guy that you know, such an explosive young rookie receiver. Get him going 
add that element, make teams have to worry about him more than they already were going into the season after watching him in camp and preseason. So Trubisky for sure, the 5.1 yards per attempt, it has to go up. And that would, and I talked about it in my quarterback report card article for Still Curtain, that would have been the, the third worst from Ben last year in yards per attempt. Mm-hmm. And we saw how limited he was down the field. Like that's got to get up into the sevens to me, like at least if you want to be an effective passing game consistently. And it affected the rest of the offense, I think, to a certain degree too. Yeah, yards per attempt, I don't feel like is a, is a stat that kind of flies under the radar sometimes, but there is like a direct correlation. Yes. Like you, you can sort those quarterbacks by yards per attempt and you'll find the best quarterbacks at the top, the worst quarterbacks at the bottom. It's yeah. just the way it is. Like it's, Sam Darnold's going to be near the bottom of the list every year. Like it's, it, it has to go up because your offense is so limited if you can't make those plays down the field or beyond 10-yard passes consistent, consistently. And Trubisky obviously was not able to do that. Uh, to any extent, really, outside of the broken play to Fryermuth, which was a huge play and a great was, pass at the end of the game. So I do give him credit for that. Um, and then the other ones, though, really, like his, his, one of his other biggest passes just came on a screen pass that was thrown yeah. at the line of scrimmage to Gentry, and he did the rest of the work. So it's hard to even credit him with a lot outside of that broken that broken pass there. Um, so it, that has to improve, like, and, and especially considering how well I think the offensive line – held up in in terms of pass protection yeah like I, I think it was as well as we could have expected based on what we've seen in the preseason so yeah. the pass protection was fine it wasn't perfect uh but there were definitely far worse things on the offense than that and so because the, the pass protection held up you had your top three receivers out there you had fire move i would have expected trubisky to have a little bit better of an opening game from that especially considering that during the preseason, like we saw this guy average eight yards in attempts in, yep. in exhibition action, action, and that number went way down. And so uh, I don't think it's going to stay consistent this way. I don't. I would be shocked if he averages five yards for however long his tenure here lasts. But that number is going to go up. It's just it, it needs to go up substantially because yeah. the Steelers, when they're passing for under 200 yards on, on 38 attempts, it's just not acceptable and no. you can't expect results. So and the other thing that I want to point out, too, is I. Uh, I do want to fault the offensive line here a little bit because the, I, though I think that the, the pass protection was good. The run blocking was not so much. And I think that kind of goes across the board. Like there were some opportunities. If you go back and watch the all 22 to say, Hey, Najee could have hit that Jalen Warren should have taken this hole. But for the most part, like these guys are already, they're, they're not getting pushed at the line of scrimmage. They're, they're not creating lanes. And so it was no surprise to see both Najee and Warren average 2.3 yards a carry. So I think it's kind of a collective effort there between the run blocking and the running backs both have to do a little bit better job. Um, and we really need to see that run game improve like yes, this. We, sure. we know that the Steelers could have a good defense. Uh, we don't know how the passing offense is going to be there. The, the plan is to rely heavily on that running offense, but I made a prediction before the season started that the Steelers would have to abandon that at some point because it's just not working. And that seems like what they kind of did, as the game went on, they just couldn't stick with it. So i uh, really hoping that that improves here very soon. Uh, I think I already know the answer to this one, Shane, but go ahead and give me your player of the game versus the Bengals. It, it has to be Minka, right? And as good as Highsmith was himself and Watt before he got injured, and like it has to be Minka. He did literally mm-hmm. everything you could ask a defensive player in the secondary to do for you and did it at a high level. And outside of a few penalties, which some of them I honestly don't really agree with, but that's beside the point, he was – about as flawless as you can be at the safety position in the NFL in this day and age. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go with Minka as well, obviously. Uh, it, they don't win that game without him. And and the, the, 
maybe the same can be said. How close this game was, you could say the same for a couple different players, but I think Minka was the best of the group. He was essentially flawless outside of the penalties. Uh, I, the, the penalties hurt the Steelers, and I think that the one the, the one in the end zone, I'm like, what do you do there? Like, you got let the guy catch the ball because I know that you're, you're not supposed to put your shoulder into him or anything, but – I mean, there's a chance that what was it Boyd on that one? That, that I think it, the, I think it well, the one that he was penalized on. I think it was Boyd. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like that's such a tough call. Like, do you go at his knees because I know that the receiver wouldn't rather have it that way. No, but no. At least it wouldn't be a penalty. So, uh, but yeah, it's outside of the penalties. I think that Minka played essentially a flawless game. One of the be- one of the best games I've ever seen at the safety position. I was go- I would go as far to say, and we've seen some great safety yeah. play obviously over the years with Troy Polamalu. Uh, I would also say that, I mean, if Minka wasn't there, like Highsmith was, he was going to be player of the week. Watt was as well. And so, and Cam Sutton had a phenomenal game. He allowed a 5.4 pass rating when targeted by Joe Burrow this week, which it's is crazy. phenomenal. So um, I think that the, the defense all around, but we're going to give that one to Minka. All right. Uh, go ahead and give me your biggest takeaway from week one. What did we learn this week? I want to say that it's that the defense for real. But obviously, it's week one, and it's hard to really mm-hmm. know for sure what if that type of, especially turnover production, it's not going to stay that way. They'll they'll be really good, but I don't know if they're going to be able to be you know a top turnover forcing team this year. Um, I unfortunately, I really have to look at the run game. That it still is a problem, and that until something changes, it probably will continue to be a problem to some degree. Especially with the pass blocking, mm-hmm. like if that holds up, that's great. Because in, and it better hold up because they're probably going to have to throw the football a lot at times mm-hmm. this year. And I just hope that they can stay in games that are low scoring enough where they don't have to completely abandon the run game at times so they can still work on that part of the game. But all these guys still, to some degree, need a lot of work in that part of the game. Yeah, that was going to be my takeaway as well. Like what we wanted to see, could the run game be improved? And so far it is not. If anything, it's gone the other way. That's a one game sample size. So we can't get too worked up about it. So let me give you a different one then. And I will say the other takeaway uh, that was in the back of my mind this game was the passing game. And I expected a little bit more from Trubisky, uh, and especially in terms of throwing to the sticks and throwing past the sticks. Yeah. And I thought he was horrible at that in this game outside of, again, that broken play to Fryermuth, which was a great pass. But uh, he needs to do that more consistently. You can't check the ball down on third down and be a good quarterback and, and expect to put up points in this league. And so uh, just the, the total offensive output was incredibly discouraging. Like yeah. it, it took an extra quarter – a play to get 16 offensive points. The other seven came from Minka on the, the pick six. So 13 in regulation, 16 in, in overtime, to, total point, points that the Steelers scored. And that's just not going to be enough. I mean, we saw this team score 20 points a game last year, and it took a lot of things going their way and winning a lot of close games uh, in order to have that winning record last season. So that needs to take a big step up. All right, let's change directions here. And we're going to talk about TJ Watt. I think, I know this this might sound bold, but I think that Steelers are probably one of the only teams in the league that you could look at and say, you'd be better off losing your starting quarterback than you would be your star defender. Like, honestly, like it's, no, is yeah. the gap between Trubisky and Pickett big enough that it's going to make a, a difference in, in terms of how the offense performs, which is bad right now anyway, or the gap between going from TJ Watt down to Malik Reed and Jameer Jones. Like that is a huge, huge drop off. And I'm interested to see uh, how the Steelers overcome that. I still think the defense could be solid without him, but he is so 
valuable to this team that that is the last player you want to lose. Uh, so let's first look at how long he's projected to be out. The most recent report that I've seen from Adam Schefter uh, is looks like the timetable for his return is approximately six weeks. Um, do you think that that's realistic for him? We I, Obviously, we, we're not the doctors. We don't know the extent of the injury, but pec injuries can be pretty serious. Uh, and do you want him to come back then? Do you want him to come back sooner? Or do you want Steelers to err on the side of caution? So for me, like six weeks for that time frame, if that's what's expected for his injury, I wouldn't be surprised if he was back sooner than that because something mm-hmm. about being a Watt brother just makes you a freak. <laughs> I don't know what exactly is going on with their There's genes or whatever it, it is. Yes. Yeah, something about it, though, makes them just freakish people. You look at J.J. Watt. He's always has injury issues in the past, but like it just seems like those guys are just made of steel sometimes, right? Like, And when it comes to Watt, I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to come back sooner. I would rather than wait at least the full length of expected recovery for him. And mm-hmm. honestly, if we're in a good spot, at the round the time he could come back and we're close to the bye week. I wouldn't hate letting him wait until after the bye to come back if we don't necessarily need him to stay competitive. I do expect that to not necessarily be the case, or at least not so much so that they can't bring him back sooner. But if if it is six weeks, I think that's totally fair. If it's earlier than that, though, I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. I think the dream scenario here is that Steelers are doing – so well without what that you can be that cautious and get that extra week off, wait until after the buy and then have more than enough time to come back in. And so that he doesn't re-aggravate that injury at all. Um, obviously that's going to be incredibly difficult to do, especially if the offense doesn't take a big step forward yeah. here. And the Steelers have a really tough stretch of games coming up too. Uh, that's going to factor into that. Um, so we, we can go ahead and get that one right out of the way right now. So, Let's look at the next three games. I think I think that it's possible the Steelers can go three and zero even without Watt in these next three games if the offense just gets even a little bit better. And we can't expect that type of uh, turnover output from the defense on a week to week basis. But um, these are winnable games. They have the Patriots this week at home. Um, Steelers home opener. Uh, Mac Jones has back spasms. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So uh, and, and the Patriots offense wasn't spectacular in week one either. So you got the Patriots at home. And then you go ahead and have the Browns uh, on the road, and then you get the Jets at home. And, and so you're looking at it's like, and Trubisky's not great in his own right when you compare to other NFL starters, but you have uh, an injured Mac Jones, you have J- Jacoby Brissett, and, you, and you've got Joe Flacco. And so we'll see what the, the Jets quarterback situation is there, but it just Jets aren't great as a team. I think those are three very winnable games, and the Steelers could potentially start the season out 4-0. Do you think that that's a possibility or how do you see those games playing out? I I do think it's a possibility. I I think that the way the Browns played against the Panthers tells you that if their defense isn't really teeing off on the opposing quarterback, Mm -hmm. which obviously with our offensive line, even though the pass protection wasn't bad week one, we can't expect it to be great every week that they're going to struggle to score points. I mean, the Browns had so many opportunities with the ball and they did very little with them. And honestly, shouldn't have even won that game because they had a penalty that wasn't called at the end of it. So the fact that they had to do everything in their power just to beat a Panthers team that's quarterbacked by obviously Mayfield, who is a good starter when he's healthy, but around him, especially on the offensive line, is kind of iffy. That tells me that they're very, very beatable right now, obviously. 
Patriots this mm-hmm. week, we are underdogs, which I'm a little bit surprised by, but that's beside the point. I don't think that their offense is just capable of doing much of anything right now. And with the way the defense played, even without Watt, unless somebody just gets super hot on the receiving core, I don't think they're going to be a huge threat on offense. And our offense can at least put up enough points to beat them. The, the Jets, if Wilson comes back and that defense is rounding into form by then, they could be sneaky tough to beat just because, especially if Wilson adds a little bit more juice to the passing game and even as a runner too because he's a good athlete, that might be kind of a difficult game. But even then, starting 4-0 wouldn't be very surprising. If, if anything, I'd be more willing to bet on that than like 2-2 two and two or something like that. Yeah, and they might need that like to, to keep their head above water because it gets really tough after yes, that. you got games against – the Bills, the Buccaneers, the Dolphins, uh, and the Eagles in three of those games are on the road. And so that is going to be an incredibly tough stretch against some really talented teams. Uh, and who knows what they'll come away with. I mean, I, I would hope that if they can come away two and two after that, that would be fantastic. Yes. But I just don't know how realistic that is. And so uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this team performs without TJ Watt. So let's go ahead and look at uh, his backup situation right now with Malik Reed. I'm sure Jameer Jones is going to get in there uh, as well. They signed Ryan Anderson, former Washington edge rusher to the practice squad. Um, but how do you think this, uh, what's going to be different about this defense? Like what, what's obviously other than having Watts dominance there, like are they going to be able to make up for a TJ Wattless defense on this team? I think for me, the biggest thing that they're going to miss, obviously, is just the attention that Watt brings, right? Because mm-hmm. teams occasionally will leave him unblocked, but it's usually because they're going away from him. So they're just trying to basically say, we're not even going to bother. We'll, if he can chase this play down, good for him. If not, then it's not a big deal. But outside of those plays, I mean, he demands so much attention, right? Him and Hayward especially, mm-hmm. they demand a lot of the resources up front. And now that you don't have to commit as many resources to TJ, you have to get a lot more creative with your pressures and your stunts up front. You have to ask more of guys like Highsmith, even though he was totally up to the you know, to the task week one. With him being the number one now, is that going to stay the same, obviously? And then I think it also puts a lot of pressure on Cam Hayward as a pass rusher specifically. You know, Even though he is older, he's only gotten better as a rusher, it seems like, every year, and he's going to need to be that even more so in his absence. So I think the pressures are still going to come. This is a team that's always been good at getting pressure regardless of who's out there. Even with when Watt has missed time, they're still usually a decent pass rusher or pass, pass rush team. It's going to be more so his splash plays. Can they replicate mm-hmm. some of the stuff like the pass breakups that he has, the interception in week one? Like Those plays aren't probably going to be coming from his backups. So you have to factor that in. You have to understand that and maybe do a little bit more exotic things on the back end than you normally wouldn't do. Yeah, for sure. I I think the the big thing here is I don't want to sound like a pessimist, but when you go from TJ Watt and now you look at it without TJ Watt here for the next, let's say it's six weeks, whatever long it ends up being, you look at that group of edge defenders and you have got Alex Highsmith, Malik Reed, Jameer Jones. It is this group. I mean, I just looking at it on paper, I would say it's it's now it went from a strength to your team to one of maybe the bottom units in the league. Now, if Highsmith takes that next step forward, that could look a little bit different, but uh, it's a little bit discouraging to to see that on paper at least. I'm hoping that Malik Reed can do enough in his absence to at least be a quality stopgap starter. And I think they're gonna need him to be if they want to this defense to be able to keep up the pace. Uh, so they, there is going to be a drop off there. We can't expect the, the team to go on 
and not see that because I mean, we're talking about the reigning defensive player of the year. I've tied the sack record last season, just incredibly disruptive all the time, splash plays out the wazoo. And so uh, we, we want to see some level of splash, but at the same time, expect expecting that uh, the defense is going to take a hit without Watt. Uh, so who do you think is going to step up in his absence? I think if you're looking at the edge position specifically and not just the defense in general, it does have to be a combination of Highsmith looking more like a true number one pass rusher and then one of Malik Reed and Jameer Jones. More likely Reed, he has a ton of starting experience in the league. He's been a productive player, not nearly the same caliber of player or even type of player that Watt was. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to use him differently. But I do think that it's going to have to be him as that second pass rusher that makes an impact if it's not going to be Highsmith as a true number one guy. And then along the rest of the defensive line, I already mentioned it, Cam Hayward's going to have to take even more responsibility from a rush standpoint than he already does. And you're going to have to ask for more contributions from the guys farther down the roster. You know, Leal hopefully can make some impact as a pass rusher. That's where his strengths are as a rookie right now. You know, Loudermilk even, like other guys on that defensive front are probably going to have to come in the game and do some different things stunt-wise to free up maybe a Malik Reed on a blitz from the inside or something like that to try to manufacture some more pressure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see now that Watt is not in the mix. Highsmith is so good, like, on those single pass rushes. Like, when he's one-on-one, he's got that wicked spin move. Uh, He can dip and rip around the edge, which we saw multiple times just this past game. Uh, The pressure that he can provide there is is very good. So I'll be interested to see if offenses are now going to roll that protection over his way and how he's able to handle that. Like, he's going to be up for a big test right now, and and I think that – it's going to be good for him. It's going to be good for his career. Uh, and it's really going to help him, especially when Watt comes back and he, he's not dealing with as much attention. Uh, so we just need to see it. We need, we need to see him be able to generate some pressure still, uh, even if he is the guy that is uh, getting sought after now in terms of stopping the pass rush. Um, and we need to see like the combination of Malik Reed and Jameer Jones do something, give us some sort of a spark. Um, even if it's, even if you're still one of the weaker links on the defense, which, I kind of would expect them to be. Uh, if you're not detrimental, then we can get by. We can weather the storm. And so let's talk about weathering the storm. Let's say that Schefter's prediction is right, and let's assume for a minute that we're, we're being cautiously optimistic and Watt misses six games. Uh, counting the Bengals' win, that would put us at seven total games. Obviously, the Steelers are 1-0 and right now. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I'll go first to give you a little bit of time to think. Seven games in, TJ Watt comes back to the field. I believe that'd be against the Eagles uh, yeah. when he makes his return. Yeah. And so, what is your record prediction for the Steelers when Watt returns based on the schedule that we just talked about? And I'll go ahead and go first. I wrote an article on this morning. I haven't published it yet. Um, but I have the Steelers at three and four during that stretch. I think they win two of the next three. And that, that again, that stretches uh, New England. Cleveland and the New York Jets. And then in that really difficult stretch, um, I I don't think that they're going to fare very well in that at all, if I had to guess. And so I'm going to say three and four, if if Watt indeed does make his return um, in week eight. I very similar. I think that they will be four and three. I think that they can get three of the next six games. I do think they can definitely do that. I do think that they beat the Pats that, you know, kind of a, 
precursor something we'll talk about later when we talk about the Pats game. I think they actually will lose to the Browns. I just have a bad feeling that this is just one of those games that just gets away from us for whatever reason. And I think they beat the Jets, and I actually think they beat the Dolphins. I think whenever we play them, yeah. I don't think that Tua threatens enough down the field, and we can take advantage of that at this point in his career. I think they're going to get some big plays just from Hill making something crazy happen and Waddle. But overall, I think we'll be able to keep them in check enough to let the offense go to work. And then the the again the Bills Bucks that's just not going to happen mm. I don't think I just don't think this team is good enough right now to deal with them the Bucks maybe if their offense isn't firing on the full all cylinders because it did kind of have a rough start at times in week one especially when mm-hmm. they weren't running the ball well but their their defense is just so tough to to move against right now so yeah that is a brutal back to back on the schedule there that they set the Steelers up with at Buffalo yeah. and then home against the the Bucks you get Tom Brady back in. Uh, I want to say Heinz Field. It's not anymore. Akersher Stadium. And so, uh, I mean, I mean, if they can split that, I would be yeah. thrilled. <laughs> I'd be thrilled. Be I, I would sign me up for that right now. But uh, no, I, I mean, you never know. We'll, we'll see. But I, I contemplated three and four, four and three. I decided on three and four. We'll see. And again, we don't know the exact timetable. Hope, hopefully, Watt doesn't even have to be out that long. We just don't right. want him getting re-injured. I mean, the guy no. is, is going to have a special, special, probably Hall of Fame career. And so uh, if it takes an extra week or two or three for him to come back, so be it. Um, it it's not worth putting him in, in further jeopardy of re-injuring that. So uh, lots to keep track of here over the next several weeks in terms of TJ Watt's progress. We'll obviously have an eye on that. Um, and you can follow us for that at Still Curtain. If you are a fan of the Pittsburgh Steelers and you'd like to support the Still Curtain podcast, please do so by subscribing to our YouTube channel. We appreciate all of your support. All right, let's get into our Steelers versus Patriots preview this week. Uh, interesting note, the Steelers opened as one and a half point underdogs despite being on the home, being at home this week, uh, coming off a win against Cincinnati Bengals and playing an opponent, opponent that was able to muster up seven points with a quarterback who got injured last week. So odds makers still don't believe in the Steelers. Are you believing in the Steelers this week? I do think that they are going to be able to come out with the win, but I feel like this line is heavily influenced by obviously a player we just spent a lot of time talking about not being in the game. I, and I understand that. I totally get it. He's one mm-hmm. of the few defensive players that could truly move a line betting wise. Like I think that that's totally fair to expect there to be some sort of drop off from the defense next week, but it's still, even if there's a drop-off, this is a Patriots offense that is being co- coordinated by Matt Patricia for the most part. It seems like he kind of is the top guy there, even though there was questions about that all offseason. And they looked bad. And with Mac Jones dealing with some injury issues with his back, spasms, stuff like that, if he's not 100%, he didn't look good anyway, despite being healthy for you know mm-hmm. at least most of that game. So I just feel like... It, the the Patriots are in a really tough spot right now offensively, and their defense, while still a good unit, they're not as difficult to attack as they have been in the past couple of years. Yeah, I I'm not optimistic about the Steelers' offense right now, but Miami's offense was just as bad, and so I'm a little bit surprised to see the line where it is right now, and to see the Steelers because typically as well. When you're home, they give you three points, and so right, theoretically, yeah. if yeah, if this game was in New England, then they would have uh, they would have the Patriots favored by like four and a half points. So that's I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Here, let, let me fire off some of these stats for you. Here, sure. Uh, the Patriots 
last week, they had 17 first downs. They were four of nine on third down. They had 271 total yards, averaged five yards per play. Uh, and that was, they, they turned the ball over three times. And that was with only having 15 penalty yards. Like this, this, this offense was comparably bad to the Steelers in across the board last week. So not only that, but I mean, seven points, I don't know. I don't know. Help me make sense of that. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm having a hard time with that. I'm, I really am. For me again, I, I feel like they're just, and rightfully so, I understand if this is what's kind of happening is if they are so convinced that mm-hmm. TJ Watt is such a impact in terms of the rest of the defense as well, and they're, that they're willing to give the Patriots the edge coming off a really tough week and Bill Belichick understandably probably being very upset right now with his offense and his team. Maybe they just assume that they're due for a bounce back, that the offense can't be that bad two weeks in a row. Whatever it is, it, it still to me is a lot. I think that they, if they were only you know underdogs by a point and a half on their end, I would be more understanding of that. You know that that would make more sense. Having us as underdogs at home, even with Watt out, and I'm sorry, there's no way the offense, especially the way that they played this past game, like they have to figure something out that's a little bit better than that. I'm not expecting Trubisky to go out there and have another game that's as bad as that, considering how bad it was ultimately. It feels like they're just trying to overcorrect for the Patriots being so bad week one. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's probably what it is. So let's go and uh, and take a look at the players to watch in this week. Week one against Cincinnati, like there is no shortage of, of Bengals players that you can highlight, right? Like Joe Burrow, uh, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, obviously, uh, Trey Hendrickson going against Dan Moore. I mean, they're they just they're they're loaded with with talent and, and even star power. Who's the stars on the Patriots? Like, who are we afraid of on this team? And I don't want to go in, in into this game acting like we're going to run away with it because I don't see that happening. Steelers no. aren't going to run away with games the way that their offense is. But right. this, the Patriots are really lacking star power. Like, they've missed a lot in recent drafts, and it's affected their roster right now. I do think they have a deep roster. I think that their, their depth is good. Uh, but in terms of star power, like, what players do we need to focus on this week? What players should Mike Tomlin be trying to take – out of the game, essentially. I think one guy you can look at, and I think he's been an ascending player for the past year or so and, and continued into this year so far. I think Kyle Duggar, their safety linebacker mm-hmm. hybrid, he's a very, very good player. He's a very physical yeah. player. He, he has that linebacker mentality while still being a good you know, athlete and good cover player. I think he's a guy that you just need to watch where he's at, right? Because he's going to come down and try to end things in the run game. He's going to try to affect the pass as well like you have to just keep an eye on him so not so much his game plan around him necessarily but just make sure you don't miss where he's at especially if you're Trubisky because he has the speed and athleticism to jump a ball if you don't you know key in on him early in the game and the thing on offense like they have a collection of receivers some of which I think are decent like I really like Kendrick Bourne as a player but he's not a true number one so he's not a huge factor they're running back Ramondre Stevenson I could see being a bit of an issue for the Steelers just because of how physical he is and Bush and Jack and the rest of the guys, they have to be ready for that because Mixon is obviously a bigger back and he's a physical guy. And he did get a couple nice runs on them, but for the most part, they kept him in check. Stevenson, though, like he is a load. He really is. Like if you don't mm-hmm. tackle him well, if you don't you know, go low on him, he'll run you right over. So they need to be careful of that because I'm assuming they're going to lean on that a lot, especially after looking at how the corners played for the Steelers. I don't think Belichick wants to mess around too much trying to throw the ball down the field. Yeah, and I think this week it's going to be much more about 
executing the game plan than it is about trying to take a particular player out of the game or or right. watch a few concerning positions. Like last week, we highlighted like Dan Moore against Trey Hendrickson. That one, and in at the end, it actually went pretty well uh, for the Steelers there. Yeah. Um. Obviously, Jamar Chase still had a big game, but we knew he was going to be a factor. And and so when the Steelers are game planning for this, like. Is there anything in particular or anybody in particular that they should be trying to game plan against, or is it more just about like executing the plan in general? I think you really have to just execute your game plan because the Patriots do the same thing, right? Like they, they're Mm -hmm. all about, they have all these players that for the most part, they very rarely have a true like dominant player on defense per se. They've had guys in the past, obviously, but especially the past like five or six years, it's been a few here and there. Like JC Jackson was really productive for them. You had Dante Hightower there for a long time. They have Judon now from the Ravens, who's been a good player for them. But for the most part, none of these guys are like unstoppable forces that you just have to commit a ton of resources to. It's more about not letting Belichick and his defense leverage you in a direction you don't want to go. That, they, they try to take away your strengths and make mm-hmm. you win on your weaknesses. But right now, we do we really have the strength for them to specifically take away? I mean, you could say a receiver, but I don't think their corners are necessarily good mm-hmm. enough to just lock down the receivers if they're getting open and Trubisky can hit them. So for me, it's just you have to you have to go in with the mindset of we need to create big chunk plays. We have to keep the run game in, in the game to some degree. Like We have to be able to go to it even if it's not great. You still have to rep it. You still have to get better at mm-hmm. it. Just don't let the game get to a point where you have to keep throwing the football like they kind of did at the end of the Bengals game. Yeah, so it, you kind of already touched on that with what you said, but let's talk about where the Steelers must improve this week. And I can go ahead and go first on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say the air yards have to come up. Trubisky yes. has to do a better job passing to the sticks, beyond the sticks, coming up with big plays and doing so more consistently because we want to point to the run game as well, but – it's hard for that run game to open up when you can stack the box or when you can play single high and you're not worried about uh, your quarterback beating you down the field. This is the issue that we we dealt with the last two years with Ben Roethlisberger as his arm went uh, in his older age and after the surgery. And so we really need to see Trubisky start making more plays down the field, doing it more so consistently. Like we said, he missed that one to Pickens. That could have been a huge play and a, and a big game changer there. Um but in all 22, though, there's some guys that are open. And, and the Bengals defensive backs, I thought, did a good job still overall. But there's windows there. There are opportunities. Yeah. They were just missed. And I don't know if it's if Trubisky's getting tunnel vision or what it is. And I know that they've got a tough defense. But um, we need to see that improvement this week. We have to see him start airing it out a little bit more, getting a little bit more comfortable passing the ball. And I, I feel like it's it's kind of a two-way street here as well because I think Matt Canada's game plan didn't help him out in some ways. Like the, the other big play that he had was off, obviously off the trick play, the, re, the reverse pitch, and then threw it down to Fryermuth again. Uh, but you can't expect your only big plays down the field to come off of trickery or, or botched plays. You have to be able to do that by hanging back in the pocket and scanning the field and finding somebody. So I think Trubisky needs to do a better job with that. And I think Canada needs to kind of give him the reins to be able to make some of those plays like these going back and like watching some of these route combinations is like, it, it was kind of like a dulled down game plan. Like they, they really need to start airing it out uh, better. I think that's the, that's the big focus for me this week. I think I definitely agree with that. I think part of the problem with Trubisky and, and this goes back to his days in Chicago where 
so early on in his career, he had a lot of issues throwing the ball down the field that would turn into turnovers. He made a lot of bad decisions down the field. And I think Canada knows that. And I also think Trubisky in his head kind of knows, you know, that's something he's had issues with. And I wonder if there's a little bit of something in his head of saying like, Hey, don't make the big mistake. Don't do this. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Cause you go back to the end of his Chicago days. Like he had some good statistical games down the stretch as he ended his season there. But a lot of it was just five yard plays, seven yard. Play. Like yeah. it wasn't, attacking down the field and that's why they still weren't putting up points or winning games because he wasn't really actually moving the ball very much he was just getting the ball out of his hands and letting guys try to go with that which i think that's a, a part of the game that he needs to do better at the steelers need to do better at too but you have to scheme up some stuff for him just to throw the ball down the field and get more comfortable with it even if it's not you know sitting back in the pocket even if it's just something you know a quick play action where he's got one or two reads on the play and if it's not there fine either tuck and run or or throw the dump off but Mm -hmm. give him true shot plays that he can try to take advantage of with Deontay even with Claypool in the slot down the middle with Pickens something needs to give there and I think Canada needs to trust his quarterback that's who they decide which is going to be the quarterback make let him be trustworthy and let him actually show he can do that yeah and look I've said this many times and I'll say it once more again because I'm not sure if I said on the podcast yet but I say in articles all the times what is the point of scoring 18, 19, 20, 21 points a game and not turning the ball over if you're not having a good scoring output? Like if you're barely doing enough to get by, like I would, I'm okay with the Steelers taking more sacks. I'm okay with them throwing the occasional interception if it means that we are scoring more points because you have a more explosive, specifically passing offense. And so I think that needs to happen. Like you saw the Bengals, like, if Joe Burrow would have had one fewer interception than he had, I'm sure the Bengals win that game because it took everything. It took five takeaways to slow them down enough for the Steelers to come away with that win. Not and the block extra point. And, and they and still the scored field. more. They still scored more points on offense than us too. They did. They scored like, more offensive points than the Steelers. So offensively, the Bengals still beat the Steelers in that game. If we're just looking at an offense, right. yes. And that's what I'm saying is so you can see how. And, and, and this isn't just a one game sample. The Joe Burrow last year, he was one of the most three, uh, the three most sacked quarterbacks in the league. He's taking sacks all the time, and yet they had the most efficient passing offense in terms of yards per attempt, adjusted yards per attempt. That off that passing offense was elite because Zach Taylor understands that you need to allow your quarterback to hang in the pocket, extend the play, make plays, it, it, deliver the ball, and you're going to take some risks sometimes. And I, I want the Steelers to start taking those risks. I really do, because without those risks, uh, you're not your offense is going to be just so limited. And it's going to be much like the offense we've seen over the past three years, even dating back to the year that Ben was absent and the Steelers has similar game plan with Rudolph in there. And so yeah. uh, they, they, they really need to open it up that way. They can't – and I know I use a Tomlinism here, living in their fears. I think yes. you're living in your fears – when you're checking the ball down on third down instead of throwing to the sticks, when the game is close, yeah. when you need to make a play, I mean, you can only count on your defense so long and they can't keep up this pace. Obviously, yeah, And, and I, I don't think, I think Canada too, part of the problem with him right now. And one of the issues with, I think his, his identity as a, as a play caller, he loves run after catch. He loves yards after catch opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Those are elements that you have to have because it's a lot easier to consistently drop those plays than expecting your guys to win 20, 25 yards down the field. But you can't just do that. Like you can't mm-hmm. just expect as good as receivers are, you can't expect them to manufacture over half of the yards total in the game. That's kind of what it felt like he was trying to do. And it's mm-hmm. just not going to work that way. Like you have to be able to at least incorporate some other things in there. So until he does, we might see a lot of the same. 
Yeah, and you mentioned receivers. The, the production to the receivers was particularly horrific. Like it was – I think they had something to the tune of like 76 receiving yards something combined like that, yeah. on 22 targets. I just cut it up. I put it on Twitter the other day, 76 receiving yards and 22 targets. It was abysmal. Like it was, it was, it was I believe it was 3.2 yards per target to a wide receiver. Like that's yeah. a number that should be – double or triple that and so and when you've got a receiving core like Deontay Johnson Chase Claypool George Pickens you expect better and so it's hard to put that on the receiver when the opportunities really just weren't there I mean the catchable targets were really caught and that's just yeah. all there is to it so Mitch has got to step up Canada's got to give him the reins he's got to they, they've got to start getting more firepower in this offense even if that is comes at the uh, expense of throwing the occasional interception or taking the occasional sack because it's just not worth not turning the ball over if it requires your defense to, to get five takeaways to narrowly win the game and have things go your way. So that's got to improve. All right. One more thing before we sign off today, Shane and I are going to make our predictions for the Steelers versus Patriots. Shane, go ahead and give me your score this week. I'm going to say 24-20 Steelers. I think that the offense plays a little bit better. I, I think they figure things out a little bit more. And I think the defense still holds pretty strong against Patriots despite missing TJ. I don't think the Patriots are due for a 28-30 point kind of game right now. I just don't think that's the case. Giving them 20 points honestly might even be a little bit, (laughs) depending on how healthy Mac Jones is. But I think that at the very least they'll manufacture some more points than they did in week one, and Steelers just edged them out a little bit. Yeah, and I – I'm going to go even lower that because I'm not convinced that these two teams that we saw in week one are <laughs> capable of combining for 44 points. So, but it's possible. I mean, again, it's yeah. week one. I have the Steelers winning 21 to 17. Uh, so if you're a betting person, uh, Shane and I both think that you should take the Steelers at the money line. We think that they will come away with the win, even though they are the underdog somehow this week at home uh, against the Patriots team with the Mac Jones who has back spasms and they scored seven, seven points. Last week, a lot of factors, a lot of factors, obviously. Right. Uh, and the Patriots could, could very well win this game. But uh, Shane and I both think that the Patriots are going to win. Uh, Shane has got the point total like just above where it's set, and I have it below where it's set. And so uh, I, if it was me, and I'm going to write this on my betting preview, I would bet the under on the point total. I just don't know what these two offenses are capable of just yet, especially uh, with an ailing Mac Jones. Um, so that's it for us today. Thank you for joining us on the show. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Shane at Shane Kubis. You can follow me at Tommy Jagai. You can download the Steel Curtain podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on YouTube and when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening to the Still Curtain Podcast.